cool. <laughs> that was just so weird. I was like, request. I'm like, wait, what? So. But yeah, so you said you were a, so you have a, uh, you have a uh, buddy of yours that you partner with for your podcast. Yeah. So we're, we created a podcast launch course together and between us, we've had probably over 10 Olympic medalists. He's had Brad Lee on, he's had, uh, me, Com Mercer, Philip McKernan, uh, Onyx signal, uh, single, um, a bunch of badass people, um, that he's had on and it's in beta right now. We, uh, we're charging 197 for the beta and then eventually it's going to be a $2,000 course. And it's got everything that you need to know for launching a podcast, including video, audio, the whole nine. So if you have any interest in that, definitely let me know. Bro, I'm, I, as far as I'm concerned, like I'm like, all I care about right now is like, I've been, I'll put it, I've been studying my ass off with like YouTube and the editing process and then trying to get, like get editors so then I can drop content like the way Gary's talking about because I'm realizing like just from what I have seen on social and my understanding of psychology I under social social media is just like the real world it allows you basically to grow your network very very large without really ever leaving your house it sounds so strange that like you can have a like an influencer that has a network of 155,000 followers. That's a lot of people that you know. You basically are a mayor of a small town. Uh huh. And if you're if you're trending on social media, and not by the fact that you have some TV show, but because you actually have something that's valuable to say to the end consumer, you're the Discovery Channel. So you can persuade an audience. You become a thought leader in this particular sphere of influence or multiple spheres of influence. And I'm just seeing that, like, this stuff that Gary's saying makes a whole bunch of sense because there's a, oh, there's a saying by Edward Bernays. I was just watching this, this documentary about the century itself. And he said, I don't care who's in power. Give me control. This is, yeah, give me control of the media, and I don't care who is in power. It's a very telling. Now, you know, Edward Bernays was the, uh, he's the, the, the godfather of modern public relations. He's the, the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Crazy. No, I did not know that, but that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's why, from my understanding, because I have like 10 years of studying social psych. So when I think about like social media, I can see the practical applications from just from how I built my lifestyle working as a promoter, doing like sales and marketing. So then taking it on the social, I'm like, I actually get why content's king. Because it's basically, I'm able to use the same psychological principles that I would in this platform and contain people within that and then grow my pie of who's all seeing me. So that's just how I see it. So. Yeah. I got someone who is telling me they have an actual emergency. So give me, I'm going to hop on this phone call. Hopefully it doesn't take too long. But... No, Adam, I love it for sure. Um, I think I'm going to figure out how to pause this or something. Dude, can I pause and then start re-recording from this?
Yeah, just pause it. I'm recording. Okay. Recording, then I gotta resume the, the fucking vlog shit. That shit, it turned off. Okay, so you've been helping people get funding. So I've been helping people get funding. One of them, one of the funding requests is for $550 million for a deal. Damn. And, um, and we've got some issues with it. Mm -hmm. So we've just got information that's accessible to people that it shouldn't be accessible to. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to chase that down right now and make sure that, that, that NDAs aren't being broken. Ah, basically because then you have to start going into like court proceedings, lawsuits. Uh-huh. Yep. Which, yeah, that's an emergency. Technically it's not on me. Right? Not, because I know that you, you made a, you made a post about that. And I was seeing you get like DM like crazy or whatever. And I was like, damn, like, I don't know how he's going to handle all of those, the, in, the, in, the, 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 the influx of requests that are coming in, like, oh, I need funding, I need funding. And then from all the people that are saying they need funding, being able to sort through which ones actually have ideas that are going to be able to be marketable and actually profitable. Because everyone thinks their idea is the next Facebook without having the infrastructure and the team in place to make sure the thing is going to be successful. So like everyone tends to forget that like you're going to do something like that, especially a billion dollar company, you better have really good people on like on board with what you're doing. And you have to know all the little details that seem like they don't mean that much because they mean everything. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, all right, give me one second. Yo. Yep. Yo. <laughs> that CEO life. Right. I think if you know of anything, like, just be, I mean, I would have to ask you, like, what is it you want to kind of talk about in this thing? Because, like, at the end of the day, like, doesn't really matter about me. I just always care about, like, there's a lot of questions I could, I could literally ask you and go all day, but I mean, what do you really want to cover? Cause at the end of the day, this is going to be you, like you getting out there on like 10 different sites and networks. So. Honestly, man, uh, go wherever, like, let's just have some fun. I'm, uh, you know, like, I'm down to talk about biohacking. I'm down to talk about entrepreneurship. I'm down to talk about influence, uh, impact, uh, networking. Uh, you know what? Let's just, I'll say this. Like, why don't we go with like your, your story? And then, because I think one of the areas we can really go into, because we, we both know how to network and we can really go deep, at least in regards to that, for sure. We can go deep into biohacking because we both know that entrepreneurship i think you're gonna have me beat on that one i would be sitting back just asking a couple of questions of anything but i know for fact, i i think everyone would like should just give you some background and just hear your story because you have a pretty crazy freaking story from how you went from like zero to hero 
yeah, no, that sounds perfect. Let me just make sure that this situation is fully diffused before we jump in. So that way I'm not, cause this is yeah. $550 million deal that we're trying to save. Mm -hmm. And if this deal goes through, then I get just shy of two mil. So, you know, that, <laughs> five, five, that sounds like a, uh, that, again? that sounds like a pretty, that's like a pretty decent proposal to me. Pretty decent. Right. <laughs> That's not a bad, that's not, that's not, you know, what's funny about that. That's, that's, that's the fact that you just, you just connected two people and you're about to walk away with 2 million. I think we should talk about networking. Dude, that's <laughs> really good. <laughs> like the fact you're about to walk away with the shot of 2 million just because of you connecting two people. That's insane. Right? It's fucking insanity. I think I know what the podcast is going to be. I think we didn't figure it out now. I know exactly how we're going to do, how we're going to rip on this one. <laughs> Yeah, and like I got other deals. We're trying to move ten thousand kilos of CBD isolate a month. That will gross. I'm just connecting another two people: the 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 people who need the CBD and the people who have it. And I'll be making I don't know six things a month off that, something like that. See, people tell me <laughs> all the time. They're just like, man. How can you, like, being the connector, it just feels like you're always the guy who's connecting people and nothing ever good happens to you. I'm going, what the hell are you talking about? I have networked my way into some of the most crazy situations because of, like, adding value and not asking for shit. Like, oh, my God. That is funny. Years before Rock Bottom, uh, I was, I grew up as a professional skier. Um, I was sponsored at the age of 12 and I was pursuing being on the U S ski team and making the Olympics up until I was 17, almost 18. And I stopped putting on mass and I only weighed about 130, 140 pounds and that just doesn't work when you're competing against people who weigh 180, 200 pounds. Um, no matter how good my technique got, I wasn't going to be able to compete with the people that I was competing against. I wasn't going to be able to uh, really show up and, and be competitive. And as I watched my complete identity as a professional skier, a professional ski racer, kind of get ripped out from under me by biological, physiological things that I probably could have done more to control, but some of it is just hormones. And, and because I grew up with a diet that was pretty natural, avoided a lot of meats with hormones, my uh, growth spurt didn't happen until a lot later in life. And so Crazy. I weighed you know, 130 pounds senior year of high school. And I kind of started to watch identity as being a professional skier start to slip away. And when that happened, I really didn't, I'm kind of a control freak or not kind of, I'm very much a control freak. <laughs> and as it was as I was watching things kind of go in a direction that I couldn't control and I didn't like, I came into a point in my life where I was like, it's senior year of high school. Everyone's partying a little bit around, you know, like weed and alcohol. And I'm like, well, 
I'm going to do a little bit of experimentation. And I got into smoking weed and, and I had surgeries in the last couple of years. And so I had pain around me and I, you know, tried taking some pain pills and then, uh, it literally, it was just this catalyst from Thanksgiving of senior year to Christmas of senior year to the first part of 2008, I went from straight edge 4.0 student, like just before Thanksgiving to smoking weed almost every day, Thanksgiving or Christmas break to doing and selling pain pills in January of 2008. So it literally was just like this, the quickest catalyst of a downfall that you could really imagine for this, uh, you know, kind of preppy 4.0 student, straight edge motherfucker to just in the heart of everything. And I started to sell weed. I started to sell pain pills. I was rolling around drinking and snorting pain pills and smoking weed almost 24 seven for a long time. I wasn't sleeping much. I wasn't really eating. And that was me completely running away from not being able to control my pursuits and uh, of becoming a professional skier. And so when that happened, it I got really tied up in this avalanche that I set off that I catalyzed in the beginning. And I bought into the story of needing to be a part of it for a long time. And I didn't necessarily need, like, fully need to be a part of it. And um, I graduated high school somehow. I don't really know how. I think my, the teachers were like, just get this kid out of here. Like, he was so good for the first little bit. And then it just blew up. And they're, yeah, they're like, what in the, I don't even know. And then I came back to Colorado. I took it. I had made it uh, into the University of Denver with an academic scholarship. And, um, good, like, I think they just disregarded my senior year grades. I really don't even know. But uh, made it into the University of Denver, and I was not ready to go into college. I was very uh, – I hadn't given myself the emotional space to grieve losing ski racing, and I was still bitter and angry about it. And so I continued down this path, and I got myself caught up with people who were dealing coke, uh, heroin, bring tons of LSD into the state, Molly, and got caught up just one level deeper. It was. It seemed like every week or every day I got caught up one level deeper in this game of, of selling and doing drugs and, and this lifestyle of like what it meant to be kind of a thug. And it's like funny because I'm this 130-pound kid, but I was driving a Subaru STI and it was all blacked out and i was you know running trucks around and i was around people with guns with serial numbers that were filed off and it was uh you know this really crazy downfall and then i remember i did lsd for the first time and i did a lot a lot a lot and that like really woke me up to a lot of things but it didn't fully bring me out and then a couple months later I overdosed on ecstasy and I was watching my friends overdose on heroin and do just the most messed up stuff like kids 
uh, like this kid was like uh, running around with his dick out in the kitchen, like at a party because he was high on heroin. He had no clue what the fuck he was doing. And, uh, you know, I had friends that were getting guns pulled on them. And, and it was a whole bunch of negative things. And then on top of that, I overdosed. And it was like, okay, Scott, what the fuck are you doing? Within a year, I went from straight edge, like, and it literally, I overdosed pretty much right around Thanksgiving of 2008. And I had started smoking weed in Thanksgiving of 2007. So like within 12 months, I had gone from like, not like the most innocent, like, you know, just whatever down into this deep hole where I was like, I don't even know how the fuck I'm going to get out of this. Yeah. And I just had to separate myself from everything and everyone. I continued to drink a little bit. I went to the University of Denver the next year, but everyone around there was partying, and I wasn't really too hip on the whole partying thing anymore because I had seen where it led. And a lot of people at, you know, University of Denver, you know, they got into selling drugs in some way, shape, or form. Um, but it wasn't in the same way. People didn't understand how deep it could go. Because, you know, their, their uh, University of Denver is vanilla as fuck. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to break, to break the, the floor and go deeper the way that I went. And um, but I wasn't really fitting in, and I knew that I wanted to continue to ski. And skiing was, like, one of the things that really made me feel uh, like I had passion and purpose. And so a year and a half after being at the University of Denver, I dropped out, did a medical stop out, was like, I don't care about the scholarship. Like, I'm not having fun. I don't fit in here. I'm spending more time at this little rail park, like hitting rails than I am in, in class. And so I packed up my car and I went on the road and I chased the free skiing world tour. And, um, I got a, I guess I got a job that winter, um, working for a ski shop. And then the next winter I went on the road and started pursuing the free skiing world tour. And I remember at my first event, I started to do pretty, like I, I made it into the five star, which is like the highest event that you could be a part of. So, you know, I qualified for the five star and I like, two of my idols went in front of me and one went behind me. And it was like, holy shit. Like I stepped right back into being able to make it as a professional skier again. And I realized like, okay, well maybe I can do this. It's just not going to look the way that I thought it was going to look with being a ski racer. So I chased that for five years, uh, the free skiing world tour. And, um, really, I, I made it a point to take care of my health and fitness as much as I could, but it was, I was still tied in a world where drinking and smoking weed were very prevalent. Yeah. And so I went, I, I was, I was one foot in and one foot out. And then I ended up moving to Crested Butte in Colorado, up in the mountains, uh, in with a woman who, you know, demanded a lot of my time and energy. So did my job. And so I got taken, I, I was, I wasn't able to be fully 
fully into the skiing side of things. And I still made progress. I was still shooting with excellent uh, photographers, taking awesome video, getting recognition, you know, here and there for what I was doing. And then I got to a point where the drinking wasn't working after uh, the number of concussions that I had gotten from being a young child till, you know, 26, things really started to stack up on me. And then I broke my back and I lost my best friend in a matter of about a month and a half. And it just destroyed me. You know, I was like, that was legit rock bottom for me. Um, I think I've been at rock bottom, a couple different rock bottoms <laughs> in my life, but that was a rock bottom. And it, it was the second time that I had assumed that the universe was given, was going to give me more time with someone than it did. Yeah. I was bitter. I was angry. I was fucking pissed off at this idea that I had assumed that I would be able to spend more time with someone and they left this plane of existence too early. And that led me to drinking again. I, I wasn't drinking that season, but after breaking my back and um, I, I was dating a new girl and, and she, uh, you know, she was kind of, she was younger and she was into the whole like partying scene, not really in, in the way that I was earlier on, but she was into drinking and I kind of got, I allowed myself to, you know, start drinking again, even though it was, um, I was really focusing, I focused on my fitness after I broke my back and lost my friend because it was something that I, I knew that I wanted to continue pursuing skiing and I knew that I hadn't been focusing on my fitness as much as I could have. So started focusing on fitness and there's this crazy split uh, like of personality where on one side I was charging really hard on the fitness, on the other side. I was still drinking and still trying to run from what had happened. And uh, there were there was a, a dissonance between self. And my girlfriend at the time was also very back and forth about, you know, she was pretty narcissistic and self-interested and really didn't care about how my emotions were feeling. And I'm a pretty emotional guy and pretty sensitive. And, um, it came to a point where she would tell me one, you know, one week that she was leaving, uh, that she was going to be moving. And then the next week that she was going to be staying around Crested Butte and, um, back and forth I got, all over the place. Cause it's like, there's no consistency. So your focus, like where your focus is like focused one week, you're like, yeah, folks are going to crush it. I'm good. Next week your whole world gets rocked again. So then you're just like this, like what, like this is taking me off my focus. And I know it's taking me off my focus because literally instead of focusing on things I should be focusing on, I'm worried about what's going on over here. And because you probably put your relationship as a priority, like as you should, it's causing you to like step off a thing that you're really good at and should have been exceptionally focused on. And I know what that's like. I'm just, that's almost like mentally like putting myself there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And uh, so I ended up going over to her place uh, at two o'clock in the morning after watching a ski movie premiere. We had broken up and I went over there just to have a conversation with closure. 
and it's the first time that I had done Molly in like uh I don't know probably seven years something like that and you know I'm like just emotional extra emotional because I'm on Molly and uh you know kind of drunk and went over there to have a conversation I, I walked into her place without um without her permission I guess and uh we had like I found like she was sharing a room with two other girls. It was like a fucking two hundred square foot room, maybe that she not even. It was probably like a, a hundred and fifty square foot room, if even. Um, that she was sharing with uh other you know two other girls, and we walked outside, had a short conversation. She wasn't feeling any of it. I left. And then I bought her a pair of skis before we broke up as a present and cause I had connections with the ski company and, uh, she stopped talking to me completely. So I listed that pair of skis on the Facebook marketplace and, um, she calls me and she's like, if you don't give me that pair of skis, I'm going to call the cops on you. I'm like, you can't call the cops them skis. You'd like, you, there's, you didn't, it wouldn't pay with your money. Stay with my money. It was a gift. Right. Can't make no claims. A gift, gift for you. Well, she was pretty pissed off about me going over to her house. And I had said some things like, don't get me wrong. I had said some fucked up things to her in the course of us breaking up. And yeah. there was, I was at a really low place in my life where the instability of not knowing what was going to happen between her and I uh as far as one week she's telling me that she's gonna be there the next week that she she's telling me that she's not i've been taking care of a dog i let her live with me for six months before she yeah. moved into this small ass room with these chicks and she was over at my place half the time because she's sharing a teeny room with two yeah. other chicks like you know she and uh so, you know, I, I had said some fucked up things and had participated in the dissonance of the relationship, but I had also taken care of her a lot and, uh, you know, done, done my very best. And, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, fucking call the cops on me. Like, you know, whatever. He calls the cops and just completely throws me under the bus, says that I lifted her up up when we were at the house said that i wouldn't leave and there were four other people in this house that if she would have freaked out in any way shape or form they would have woken up and taken care of shit right so like we literally just walked outside had a short conversation and i left and but she tells the cops yep and but you know she tells the cops that i lifted her up that i wouldn't leave all this shit i ended up with a felony Domestic wow. violence charge, trespassing. Wow. Almost two years ago. There's, but Over there's two years. Proof. It's like your word against hers. Right? And oh, the shitty thing is, yeah. So, small town. Colorado is the worst state for domestic violence. Wow. And pretty much I get a call from the cops like, a week later, they're like, yeah, we want to talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, well, what about? Like, what Like, what about, you know? And uh, I kind of just, like, let time pass for a while and then contacted the 
police chief and was like, yeah, so, like, what's this all about? And he's like, well, yeah, I'm going to let you know that you have a felony warrant out for your arrest. What? Like, this is December 3rd or December 4th of 2016. I'm like, yeah, uh, for what? Like, what? And he's like, you know, between talking to, like, at that point, I pretty much hung up, hired a lawyer, all that and my lawyer's like don't say another word to the cop because you couldn't you know you could indict yourself on on shit so like don't say anything and then basically it was like six months of trying to get my lawyer who i could have hired a better lawyer that's for sure um but trying to like figure all this shit out and i ended up pleading guilty to the felony domestic violence, but it's a deferred. So I've been on probation and this is how shitty my fucking lawyer was. He, uh, court was on my birthday, April 7th of 2017. (laughs) So, uh, we're getting real deep in history right now. I hope anyone there that's listening to this can realize like how shitty someone's life can get how destroyed you can and it feel. does like, get better <laughs> oh, man. it does get better because yeah we're gonna move there soon but i think it's really good to set the to uh incorporate context and and setting of of how my life uh has gone which is you know smooth sailing sponsored skier Drug, alcohol addictions, wrapped up with the wrong people, guns, all sorts of shit. Places where I probably could have gotten in trouble with the law, and I didn't. Pursuing skiing, trying to help people out, uh, you know, dating this woman. Anger gets the best of me a little bit in the breakup, a lot of it in the breakup. I've never put my hand on a woman ever, have never hit a woman, have never done it. Shit. To, to deserve the title of domestic violence or, or anything. I have yelled and I have said some fucked up things, but we all, I think, we have, all have, have yelled or all, some there fucked up things. fall short of that, homie. Trust me. Yeah. So all this happens. And when I broke my back, I decided, how am I going to become grateful for this? When I lost my, my best friend, I decided, I, I, may, I said, how, how am I going to become grateful for this? And when I got the felony charge, I said, how am I going to become grateful for this? And so when I got the, the domestic violence charge, I went through that program. The guy who sold me on the life coaching started a life coaching company himself. He hired me on to do sales for him. I cold called Nicholas Bailey, and those who don't know who Nicholas is, he runs a company called Billion Dollar Body. I actually, I know exactly who that gentleman is. Yep, he's a badass, right? So I got tied in with him, and this is God or the universe's perfect way of of breaking you down just to build you up even more, right? So. I get connected with him and he sells me on going out to this live event out in San Diego. And I'm like, I don't know why, but I just need to be there. And so I ended up getting my ticket super last minute, buying uh, plane flights, 
someone who was in the life coaching company that I was connected to had a place for me to stay. It was just a garage that they had turned into an Airbnb sort of thing. It was super cheap. They were right by the train, so I could take the train into San Diego, downtown San Diego, to make it to the hotel. Yeah. Um, I had to borrow money because I opened up a credit card right before going out there, but the credit card didn't, I didn't actually get the card until lit after the event. But I knew that the limit on the credit card was $10,000. And the, at the event, Nicholas pitches the mastermind, Billion Dollar Brotherhood Elite for the first time. This is his first live event that he's putting on. Uh, with this many people, he's got, you know, amazing keynote speakers there. He's like, you know, talking about men learning about health relationships and wealth and building their own businesses and creating this mastermind. $10. So I know I have this credit card that's on my way that has a max limit of 10000 Is like $10,000 at that point seemed like a shit ton of money. It, it yeah, still right. is a shit ton of money, but at that <laughs> point, it was like the your ceiling whole, of your, a shit your ton whole, of money. Your whole savings on like what you could do, just like, eh. Right? No, I didn't even have $10,000. All I had it on was credit. It was this fucking plastic card that said that I could spend it. And I had 200 I had basically $275 to my name, less than that, probably 260 and they asked me to put down a deposit. And I remember Amanda fairly looking at, I was like, I can give you 250. And she's like, 2500 uh, I was like, no, no. $250. And I will have $10 left for the rest of this trip for food and for everything. And so they're like, Nicholas Elliott, who was doing, Sales for the mastermind was the guy who had started the life coaching company that I did sales for. So Amanda and Nicholas look at Nicholas Elliott and say, can we trust him? And then Nicholas Elliott vouched for me. He's like, yeah, you can definitely trust him. So I fly home and I get the credit card in the mail and I drop immediately 10,000 on it. Just oh. boom, invest in the mastermind. And that has led me to where I'm at now, which in the last, that's been a year and a half since I invested in that mastermind. Launched a podcast that went top in sports and iTunes within 90 days of launching. I've got to interview multiple Olympic medalists and I've helped others launch podcasts. I'm uh, speaking at the Super Bowl at an event that the UN is putting on uh here in two weeks or so it's middle of january 2019 so two weeks from now i'll be speaking on the same stage as akon and kevin kevin harrington um <laughs> and just before we hopped on this call i was putting out a fire on a 550 million dollar deal that i'm helping people partner with and there's a lot of serendipity and synchronicity that's happened since investing in that mastermind that we could go into more detail about if you want. But basically, I went from, uh, holy shit, $10,000 is like more than I could ever fathom spending on educational investment to, 
I could potentially make $2 million just off of connecting two people. And it's all because I made a giant risk. And it wasn't, it was a calculated risk because I knew that I was investing in things that I could apply yeah. to what I'm doing to make myself a better person yeah. and to make myself a more capable person for helping the world. And at the end of the day, I've always wanted to help the world. Like deep down, fuck skiing, fuck everything else. I want to help the world. And it's been a, a crazy stripping down of persona and personality that's allowed me to finally embody truly helping the world and making money off of it right now. So very long winded introduction to where I'm at in life and how I got here. But that's uh, the truth of it. And the, you know, like deep down that's, that's been what I've experienced in the last 28 years of my life, almost 29. <laughs> so clearly we're, we're exactly like right around like the same age, which is, I think I'm, I'm 29. Okay. So one year. Um, what I, what I found really interesting about what you were saying is that it's one, like all of the crap that happened ended up being like, almost like working out for your good. And one of the big things that I caught was that you said, like you were like, at the end of the day, what it's all about is helping other people. So I caught on very quickly is that, because in the last conversation that we had, you connect people. You, you don't realize that you tend to do it, but like, you're always like, oh, I know someone who knows someone. Because I've seen a lot of your posts on Facebook. You'll be like, oh, let me know if you need this or like who needs this or does this. And it's funny because I see all these people that are like, immediately DMing you or reaching out to you because like there's something that they initially can get from you because you you carry connection even when you were buying presents for your girlfriend you had the connection to the guy who had like the skis or the connection here and it's interesting because I really vibe with it just because I grew up poor like I grew up really poor and like I only got one lesson from my mother it was, it's not what you know it's who you know she's like you can go to school all day long and get like all these great degrees but they're not going to help you with people I think the one thing you might want to develop is really good people skills. And the other thing is the ability to connect people. So I didn't know any better and I moved all the time. So I had to make new friends all the time. Fast forward, you know, 10 plus years later, and it's the fundamental skill that I have seen between every mentor that I know that like has aggressive networks. They all are connectors. They all are social. They just connect people, connect people, connect people. So well, I think one of the things that I wanted to ask, like, wanted to ask about was like, um, how do you run your business as a connector? Because like, it's something that you naturally tend to do. How do you, like, how do you, how do you run your day-to-day -day business? Because I know I'm like, and there's some things I fall short in. Like I'm really good at connecting people, but there's some other things I'm terrible at. I'm absolutely terrible, but I, it's connecting people. I, my mind mentally just goes, Oh, Scott was talking about this. I know a guy who I know a guy who, and I just keep aggressively expanding my network because that means I always know somebody who can solve a problem in any sphere. So, I mean, how would you, how do you. Totally. Uh, I mean, so like, it's definitely a place where I'm still letting things unfold yeah. and you never, it's, it's hard to set up a true business structure that is like, this is exactly how I run my business. Like for me, 
I literally have probably spent an average of three to four hours a day, and this that's probably on the low end. But since so one thing I didn't talk about is I was still pursuing professional skiing up until March of last year. I broke my leg and I was like, fuck it, I'm done. Entrepreneurship <laughs> all the way. And I started hopping on the phone with people and I was spending for the first couple months, eight to 10 hours on the phone every day, just talking to different people and brainstorming and connecting and figuring out what their mission, what their, what they wanted to accomplish in life and trying to figure out how I could help them digitally. Because a lot of what I had learned from the mastermind was digital marketing, uh, how to launch podcasts, how to create courses. I've always been good at video editing, photo, uh, digital, just content creation and digital assets. And so I literally just started hopping on the phone with as many people as I could day after day after day after day after day. And it came to a point where I started to realize that I could produce anything. And I started to laugh at this in sometime in, I think, May or, or uh, June. I was like, literally, all I need to do is ask my Facebook network for whatever it is I need, and I can generate it. And a lot of what I did there was I was 20 to 25 people as friends a day, and anyone who... Uh, accepted my friend request I would send them a message just say hey what's up you know how are you doing and start conversations because it's you know the internet and there's MLMs and there's so many people out there who are so entangled or like jaded by the idea of people selling them you only have a certain amount of people that respond but then there's gonna be a certain amount of people who respond to see they watch what happens on your Facebook they're like oh this motherfucker like he's crushing it or you know he said something that really resonated with me or you know this that or the other thing and then all of a sudden you have people on on your side who are like yeah I want to connect with you like let's connect and then I just started to you know realize like okay well I got a publishing deal there's a bunch of people in the influencer world that want to publish books right now and become public speakers you're, yeah you're right so and I, I watched that trend because I watched the podcasting I've watched the course trend I've watched you know and part of what I did when I you know two and a half years ago when I first figured out that I was in trouble with the law shit I can't really work anywhere so I gotta become an entrepreneur and create my own you know like bro who's gonna hire a fucking talent like that like what you're talking about like I had my record expunged so there's things that like don't really affect me but straight up like like I ain't had no real formal education my formal education was reading books like that was and I'm only like and I only quote like five or six books of all time because they're my favorite books and that's yep. my area of like, I'm really good at, I just don't delve anywhere else. So that's why I was like, let me ask you these questions because you seem very similar. And I'm like, you know what, let me see how he reached his success. So then maybe I can kind of get an idea of like, there's a path somewhat that I can follow that might be useful for me because at the end of the day, I'm like everyone else. I'm like, I can't really, I really don't get how they got from here to here. I'm like, I know how I've gotten from here to here, but 
not everyone's me. Let me find someone that might be similar to me and maybe I can, their rubric for success will probably work for me because it's very similar to how I am. And what's kind totally. of Totally. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think that it's, uh, like I never, so in a time when everyone was niching down, I was building my platform as wide as I possibly could. So everyone was diving into, you know, real estate agents, uh, commercial real estate agents generate leads for leasing, you know, whatever, or I help, uh, you know, six figure CEOs optimize and prioritize their time and, you know, uh, get more hours out of their week to do what they love to do. And that's good. It's good to have people who are experts who know exactly what they want to do and who are targeting exact people. I did the opposite. I was like, I know that I have the ability to do anything. I'm still at a point where like, yeah, I'm going to help people create courses and podcasts because that's something that I can do. But that's not all I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and I'm going to see what other people need. And it may not be me that ends up providing the service or the resource for them. But I'm going to connect with as many people as I possibly can. If it seems interesting to me, and if it seems like it falls in line with my mission and vision, I'm going to connect with them. And I'm going to figure out what they do and what their needs are. If I can provide it, cool. If I can't provide it, I make a mental note of it. If I know someone who can provide it, I tell them, I'm going to connect you with this person, this person, and this person after this call. This person has X, this person has Y, this person has Z. I really hope that you guys can make some sort of a connection. Make sure you talk about this when you connect with this person and see where it goes. And I had no expectation of creating any sort of monetary value out of it. I didn't make anyone sign any deals. I didn't make anyone do anything in the way of saying like, Oh, because I connect you with this person, you owe me 12% of any business that you do with them for the next three years. Because there are people out there that do that. Like there are high level influencers right now that one who just started a podcast, I'm not going to name him. But he, if he connects you with someone, he makes you sign a deal that says that you have to give 12% of your business to him at like you're doing business. I was, I operate based off of the idea of if I can provide value to someone who's on a mission that relates to mine, the only thing that I can do is help. That's I'm helping my mission by connecting two people and yet all need money we all need sustenance we all need to be able to survive but if I can help enough people get what they want I will always have and I just continued to connect people with more people with more people with people and it got to a point where now I'm working with a Super Bowl ring winner a 
the Pentagon intelligence officer, people who have done $500 million product launches for Under Armour, JBL, uh, you know, other companies like that, um, connected with people who are one the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Uh, like I'm working on deals that are uh, 10,000 kilos of CBD distillate monthly. And literally, it's all because I've just continued to connect with people, know their story, and I tell them about what I'm doing at that moment. And then other people will randomly just connect me and say, hey, like, check this out. We've, you know, X going on. And you were talking about that when we talked on the phone you know, maybe you guys can connect. So I just, and I know it's like, it's so cliche, but at the end of the day, just like our first conversation, we just hopped on and chopped it up yeah. over an hour, just talking about how we related and like the things that we're doing. And we're like, Hey, maybe we can work together. Maybe we can't, who knows? Yeah. But at what, the very least, what was what was crazy is that when we when we sat and spoke, we had so many commonalities, we had so many similarities. I remember just thinking to myself, I was like, "Damn!" I'm like, because uh, I remember that, like, um, I remember there was like a, this epiphany that I had. I was at this, I was at this NextCon conference like last year, and it was I think three months before I got on the phone with you. And I just remember like this like little small voice was like, "There's only one thing that makes you valuable." And it's just like, you know, you're like walking, it's a random thought kind of comes and you're just like, I don't even know where the hell this came from. But small, small <laughs> like, you only got one thing that makes you valuable. It's only one skill that you have that just makes you good. And you've had it all your life. And you never realized it. it was like, what? It's like, you're a connector. And it just, it was like this big, like this veil was just lifted. Like, stop trying to do anything else besides be the connector because that's just how you live. And that's how you've gotten by so far. Just do that. And I sat back and I was like, Wait a minute. I'm like, you know, let me just like sit there and just focus on like growing my network of people and let me focus on growing my network of other connectors because then that way my network is their network, their network is mine. And like we can expand and grow in terms of what we can do because there's like 10, 12, 15 of us. So then when we got on the phone, you were just kind of beating on the same drum. And then I was like, you know what? I'm like, no, I'm not crazy. This is not something I just thought of myself. There's other people that are out there that just think like this. And if I can figure out, you know, how they run and live their life, I can give me kind of like a surefire, a surefire way of how to get things done and live and make money just based on my know-how of just being good with people. Like that's all I've got is, you know, my people skills. So let me just double down on being really good at that and nothing else. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And like when you get really good at people skills so this is who i was looking for brad costanzo does so much in the way of just connecting people and this is really he came in and spoke it for the billion dollar brother mastermind and spoke about how he would take you know one to two percent of a business deal that happened and he did that with like three or four multi-million dollar business deals and all of a sudden he literally could just sit back because he's connected to people that need it with yeah. you know need something with you know the resources that they need and 
Yeah, I'm like the whole idea of being a, a super connector is like you have everyone's best interest in mind. And when you have everyone's best interest in mind, you're always going to be taken care of. You're always going to have what you need. And whether it's, you know, it's something that I was really good at in the ski industry as well. And I didn't realize how much it was going to benefit me past the ski industry, but it was, um, you know, like I have a, cr a couch to crash on in pretty much every ski area yeah. in the world if I just tap into my network. And it may not be my friend, but my friend knows someone, you know, like. Of a friend. Exactly. And it's really, it's, it's pretty crazy because then like when you leverage those connections and you sleep on the couch and, and you have that conversation, you know, the same type of conversation with that person, you realize that you know some of the same people beyond the friend that connected you and you're generally on some sort of a synchronistic mission and like there might be something else that you get to add value with. And, uh, you know, even down to like, I was riding the chairlift the other day cause I was helping out my old ski team with some shit and it, uh, I was, I rode the chairlift next to some guys who were talking about social media marketing and I like just broke it down for them on the chairlift. Like, Hey, this is like how to do it, what you should do. And by the way, here's my name and here's my number. If you ever want any information and like there are guys in Longmont and uh, who knows what comes of it, but life is a funnel. So, yeah. you know, just like on Facebook where I was adding you know, 20, 25 people every day saying what's up to the people who added me. And then, you know, it's consistently you're, you're sifting out the gold. You're always panning for gold yeah. and you're always in motion and it takes time and it takes patience to figure out who knows who that gets you connected with the next person. But when you stay at it persistently long enough, you know, I got to sit down in New York last, it was basically a month ago with the CEO of a $6.6 billion uh, social impact hedge fund. And the only reason why I was able to do that is because I can, a Pentagon intelligence officer, 16 year old millionaire, uh, former, uh, you know, millionaire commodities, solar commodities person. And who else was there? And that the commodities guy connected us with the CEO of Vanderbilt financial. And so it's, it all just like, I had no expectation. I have no expectation of what's going to come from that. But now I'm building a relationship with a guy who owns freaking you know probably at least 10 million dollars worth of electric supercars and it's all just based off of connecting and offering value and connecting and offering value and just seeing the macro picture and and it's not until like that's one of the crazy things about the world right now is for so long we've been addressing we've been putting band-aids over uh you know the problems of society oh, yeah. well now that we ha we have a 
a macro perspective, we get to see the systems and processes that create the world in which we live in down to the root cause, not just the symptoms of the problem, but we get to actually look at the root causes of the problems. And now we get to start addressing those. And the same thing happens when you have enough conversations with enough people, you start to hear you're doing market research and your brain as it, like as it already exists, is always doing market research on the world around it in whatever way, shape, or form. It's inputting data, analyzing it. Our brain is lazy. Yeah. It's always looking for like the shortest, fastest route to get us where we need to go. And it's always looking for like what is consistent so I can make a pattern, a, a pattern like code to let you know, okay, pattern 4013B, we've seen this multiple times. We know how to act here. And you're just like, your brain is just, it's, Pattern recognition, pattern match, now like just going as autonomic response pattern. Exactly. And when you're out there having conversations with people, you start to hear common trends of what's happening. Like CBDs are going to be a huge fucking industry in the next bit. And same with social impact entrepreneurialism. There's going to be a point in the next five to 10 years where a business cannot exist without a triple bottom line business plan like where can you explain what you mean by that by like triple bottom line business plan i've, I've actually have like two things I've never heard of. i've never heard of social like a social impact company and i've never heard of um triple uh, triple you said triple bottom line uh triple bottom line okay so people planet profit you have to have a business that helps people helps the planet and creates profit most businesses and corporations that have existed for the last hundred years have been purely based on profit and like cap. I have no problem with capitalism mm -hmm. until it becomes purely about profit. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's been a lag because most of like, McDonald's solved a problem of being able to feed a bunch of people quickly and cheaply quickly cheaply providing the same standard of service yeah. and standard oh, of yeah where we got a problem which is what the epidemics of obesity because exactly of the sugar that they put inside of the, the way they raise the meat the sugar that they put inside of the meat to make it addictive like all because McDonald's is specific with like they're very specific with the way that they make their food to make it addictive, to trigger your dopamine receptors, to make sure that when you go there, I want more. I, uh, the Power of Habit was the book that I was reading and it was talking about what these big corporations do to make sure they create addictive process in their food, in the scent, and in their marketing to make sure your dopamine response goes off. So you start to chase their food, their product as the reward. Yeah, 100%. And so as, you know, the uh, whole liberal arts movement in education has been instilled into our generation and the younger generation, there are more and more people that are waking up to the idea that the man is no longer the government. It's big corporations that have a single bottom line that's only, oh, yeah. about, pro only about profit. And so... 
we are going to start to demand more transparency, more and more and more and more transparency out of these corporations because there's going to be new marketing tactics that start to come into play of what's called greenwashing, which greenwashing is when you claim that you're doing social impact and generally this revolves around just climate impact, climate change impact, but you say that you're doing good for the planet, but really you just make it look like you're doing good for the planet, but you're really not creating the impact that you are marketing that you're creating. And so it's smoke and mirrors that's creating this whole feeling, this feel good aspect around your brand that doesn't instantly fall true. Well, so there's go it's the companies that like champion female empowerment and they're like raw, raw, raw. And then you're like, you, you know that that's just part of their marketing practice to therefore break into that market segment, but they have no, intentions at all of backing up those claims even though their brand stands for it and you know maybe they are empowering women to get out and you know be their own boss and to use their voice and to be you know to have body acceptance and to love themselves and all those things but at the end of the day they're doing it as a marketing tactic not because they actually care and, and so it's going to yeah, exactly. No, I'm just reiterating what you're saying. And it, it comes down to a point where there's going to be more and more transparency. And so when I say social impact entrepreneurialism or social impact businesses, a business that has a triple bottom line mm -hmm. is a social impact business because it is in it for the well-being of the world. And like when you look at, and this is where we can start to geek out a little bit about the biohacking, optimization of the body, all of that. When you look at a human, you go down to the cellular health. If you can optimize cellular health, limit oxidative stress, limit cortisol response, yep. and you know optimize the systems within like the uh, human organism be it's best at a cellular level that will move up the chain to have the greatest expression of health at the human level. Yeah. You're talking the about the same thing. Yeah. Or, uh, nutrigenomics or, you know, like being able to feed your body. Like it, it comes down to anything from like eliminating, um, sugars that aren't attached to fiber to, fasting and creating nrf1 and nrf2 to um you know yeah nutrient like eating the right things that optimize your uh genome and and everything there but that same principle needs to be applied to the whole human organism together because we all are one you're a cell i'm a cell you know, everyone is an individual cell. The more that we can focus on eliminating resource scarcity, the more that we can focus on educating people about their own health, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional relationships, how to create good relationships, connect the way that we've been talking about, how we, uh, the more that we can focus on creating communities, businesses that thrive. Um, the, the more that we can focus on 
um, yeah, creating these relationships and, and educating people about relationships and then uh, wealth management or resource management, then we're going to be able to watch the whole world shift around us. And like, we know that we are at a very pivotal point in society right now where we either choose destruction or revitalization where capitalism and, you know, pure bottom line capitalism versus social impact capitalism, because at the end of the day, let's go out and make fucking billions of dollars. Let's, do it like let's go explore the moon let's go but let's do it by solving problems that help people optimize themselves at a health like at a uh, physiological level and let's do it in a way that helps people create relationships with each other and um and that puts more money in other people's pockets as well. You know, like if you, there's always a way to create win-win situations. And ever since we adopted this mentality of Darwinism. Yep. The survival of the fittest. It's, it's created dissonance between the whole human race. Because at the end of the day, Stephen Hawking's, if he was disregarded as being worthless because of his lack of ability to physically perform we wouldn't have we would not have had a whole number of technological uh products you know things that he has altered forever altered the course of humanity because of his mental capacity and his strengths made up for weaknesses across the whole human race, but the whole human race's strengths made up for his weakness and inability to create, like to fully take care of himself in the idea that he can't go out and hunt and he can't go out and, you know, and, and provide food for himself. But if he it's was born in that hunter-gatherer society, he would have been susceptible to the animals just eating his ass. Because he can't exactly. go. He needs help from other people. That chair is the only thing that allows him to speak, to communicate, to think, to even write a freaking book. So if it was like survival of the fittest, he'd have been the first one that had been picked off. Right? But that's a perfect example of the idea that my strengths are uh, make up for other people's weaknesses and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And it's super important that we understand that Darwinism exists in an idea that we have adaptogenic genes where when we're placed in an, in an environment with extreme conditions, extreme variables, especially as humans, we have the ability to adapt to it. We have the ability to overcome what we've been presented with, especially because of our brains and our opposable thumbs and everything that we've been given that has allowed us to move through the tech, uh, technology revolution to become the people that we are today. Mm -hmm. But I don't have food if Farmer John doesn't grow it. 
I don't have a car unless Henry Ford makes it. Right? Machine XYZ puts it together. And, you know, it's it's super important to realize that, like, there's so much, uh, you know, now we're, for me, we're walking into some of my life's mission and my life purpose is to lift the floor of society, the floor of the human race, not the ceiling, because we have enough Elon Musk's, Naveen Jain's, people who are going out and trying to figure out the next technological evolution of, you know, Elon Musk with Neuralink. And like Neuralink is like the idea that like the matrix where you get to download how to fly a helicopter in a matter of seconds. Elon Musk is working on that with Neuralink. How possible that is. I have no idea. That's beyond me. But For me, it's a lot more important to go to the continent of Africa and lift up the floor of humanity. Let's get them provided with resources and infrastructure to build cities, towns, communities, and ways for them to become first world countries. Because at the end of the day, we need to raise up the floor we need to give people an equal playing field to stand on and if we can do that then think about how many people there are in africa right now that have the genius of nikola uh, nikola tesla and fucking einstein and all these people who aren't resourced enough to take advantage of it but if we can Statistically, if we can provide more opportunity to more people in the human race, we're all going to benefit. Yes, we and are. it's not about it's not about competition. It's it's and it's about sportsmanship. It's about competition in the way of like, yeah, let's race towards this positive end goal. And if you win, I'm gonna shake your hand and I'm gonna help you. If I win. I'm going to shake your hand and I'm going to ask you to come help me because you have your own set of experiences that can still provide value to what's going on. And yeah. So like wild tangent on that. No, aspect. I, I like where that was going just because like what you're, what you're saying is 100% accurate in terms of, in terms of this. If you so if you if you look at like this is something I had a, I had a discussion with a buddy of mine about and I asked him I said um I was like what is money, and he said he was like, well money is just like the ability to purchase money. I said no what like what is money, and he really wasn't able to like to explain it to me. I'm like dude like real money is ideas it is it's ideas because ideas therefore turn into products and those those products therefore solve problems. So I was like, money realistically, like we should like realistically, money is only barter. We look at money like as if it's just, it's real tangible product, and it's like what it is. It literally is a middleman to place a rate or a unit of value on something that someone else is going to buy. Because back in the day, when you go back to a barter system where I had two cows, you had this thing of dates here. My two cows would have purchased, you know, eight to twelve bags of those dates and maybe you thought that that i was ripping you off but then also you realize you need those two cows so you're willing to pay that we do the same thing now if you take 
$150 to buy something yesterday that therefore was worth a lot less. That's just, we just call that inflation. But it's the same thing. People still think they're getting ripped off by what they buy. And the reality of what it is, is that money is just it's like money. The, the term uh, credit comes from the Latin word, I believe, or credo. It just means it's public trust and confidence. Money doesn't mean shit. It's, it doesn't mean a damn thing. We just trade all day long. I trade this for that. And what's funny about it is that we're all racing to get after that almighty dollar to buy things realistically to allow us to do the things we really want to do. Money just gives us a certain standard of living so that we can be comfortable to do that which we've been put here to do. And the only way to have more than enough is to not try to cheat you out of yours. It's to therefore help you to get yours and I'll get mine as well. Because a rising tide raises all ships, not one ship, all ships. What scares me about today's society is that we have a higher standard of living, but we're not as happy. You go to these third world countries, these guys don't have shit, and they're happy with the little bit that they have. And it seems like in this culture, the more that we have, the more unsatisfied that we are, and the more that we feel like we need more. And it never becomes, it becomes this, this sunk cost principle of vampant excess, only to realize that it did none of it matter. There's only a few things that, we, that really make us happy. And as long as we have those things, we're good. So that's, I'm always wondering, go ahead. I mean, at the end of the day, what makes human experience so, um, so like valuable is the ability to share it with other people because it's kind of like, we can go super philosophical here, but like if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it actually make a sound? Did it actually happen? And it's like, yeah, that shit happened. But what gives value to it is human consciousness perceiving it and being able to share with that experience the story of what happened. And and so, you know, if we can create long-lasting friendships, if we have the freedom to take care of ourselves in a way that uh, like if we are healthy, if we appreciate what's in front of us, <coughs> excuse me. Bless you. Bless you and if we, thank you. And if we, you know, if we have pe- people to share uh, experiences with, if we have resources and i mean that's pretty much about it that's what makes life like so valuable is like opportunity to do things and people to do it with and that's ultimate freedom for me is doing what i want when i want with the people i want and And at the end of the day the sum of money experiences that's it money is by experience money is meant to buy experiences like that's like, when we look back on life, we don't remember all of the money we made. We remember the experiences and the emotions that we felt. And that's how we recall and live life. It's through the filter of experience after experience. And who we share those experiences with because those people give our life context to make it funny. Like, something I'm thinking about just in regards to social media because we're now that I'm thinking about like people interacting with shit. If you tell a story and it's just you, it's boring as shit to watch. What makes a story funny 
is something funny or hilarious happened and it had other people that were therefore involved to give the story a little bit more flavor. Just like there is, you know, you have, you add cheese to this, you add, you know, some Himalayan rocks. So you need those, you need these different elements to therefore make a perfect meal. Because if the meal was perfect on its own, that's just not going to happen. It needs things to be brought together that never would have worked together in order to create something new. Yeah. That's how like totally. people. Oh, like, by, I'm, I'm, I don't like the idea of what we do with survival of the fittest because I'm wondering if we get rid of all human beings and just like kept, kept the, the fittest to survive, we end up back with the same problem. There's, gonna, there's always going to be the moment that you oppress people, more people therefore populate. That's just all, like, there's nothing new under the, everything that we have tried, like, everything that we have tried to, therefore, to create, to, like, euthanize the race, it's just done the same thing. Hitler did it. The people rebounded back. They did it over in, like, in, in Turkey. They've done these things over here in the Ottoman Empire, Genghis Khan. Like, it's just, it's this, we go back far enough, and, like, everyone has tried to usurp and to dominate over someone else, only to, therefore, end up losing. The people rebel. Someone else comes into power. It becomes more of a democratic society. People think in a democratic society, they know how to do better. They, so now they try to create a ruling class, rule over the masses. The masses rebel again, topple that. <laughs> so it just keeps resetting because people were never meant to be, people were never meant to be ruled by other people. Yeah, no, I mean, we were, we are all innate creators. And like, if you look at the Bible, we're all created in God's, God's image. And so uh, you know, we all are a piece of God walking around in mm -hmm. one way, shape, or form. And, you know, we are meant to have rule over ourselves. And I think one of, like, when you say, like, we're always going to have the same problems, that's one of my big concerns and one of the things like I've said on a couple podcasts before is I think Elon Musk is a pussy for trying to run to, you know, Mars to colonate it when we still haven't figured out our own human problems, which like are it. You're going to run away from a problem. Like, if, okay, there's a, there's a, uh, oh, there's a really good saying. Like if you can't, I think it's a Jewish thing. If you can't run your own house, how are you going to go rule someone else's house? Exactly. So take care of the problems that we had here first. That's like me going around giving to the homeless and then my family sitting there starving. I need to yeah. go take care of my own house first before I start trying to go give to everyone else's house out here. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a level of, like, what is enough like you know some people are, would you know that comes down to perception of success or perception of control or or you know but you know at the end of the day i think that if we are able to um yeah if we're able to realize that like uh if you want to see change in the world you change yourself like no first and foremost is you work on yourself you consistently work on yourself and uh you know how do you really truly build a following of people is not by going out and preaching what you believe so that other people can uh be indoctrinated by your mission you yeah. go out and live your mission into existence and people start to see it 
and they gravitate towards it because you've created a polarity for people to a magnetic polarity for people to attract to and the more that you live what you your mission is you can do it silently and people will be attracted to it you know like or by silently i mean you're not asking for other people to look at you or to look at what you're doing you are just going out and doing it and yes you might put it out there in the world for people to see but you're not asking hey come follow me you're just providing an opportunity for people to follow you if they want and when people opt in themselves instead of being called to opt in that's when, yeah or coerced or whatever then that's when you really have a massive impact and a tribe of people who are willing to travel across the country to just visit you is when you do what you do enough to just call that in and uh yeah what you're saying is crazy because it, it, it really it boils down to this if you want to be like everyone thinks like everyone thinks a ceo's job is to boss everyone else around a true boss and a true leader no one understands this. a true boss and a true leader's job is to do one thing is to spot the greatness and the talent within each individual person around them and then therefore cultivate it the other thing it is he is meant to do he is meant to therefore serve them the CEO of a company, he is everybody's bitch. I don't like, there's no nice way of saying it, but that is the truth. A real CEO is the bitch of everyone else around him. He is not really a leader. He is a servant. And I mean, both because like the best, the best student becomes the best teacher or is the best teacher and the best teacher is the one who is continually understanding that there is more to learn. Yeah. And so it's, it's the paradoxical nature of society of the world is that when you are a servant, you are also a good leader. When you are a good leader, you are an amazing servant. And you know, like back to the biblical stuff, like, Jesus would wash his followers feet you know he would wash these people's feet that no one else would but that's what a true leader does because when you value other people's human existence when your consciousness honors the fact that other people exist you allow them to wake up to the their full potential because they see themselves in a way that they've never seen themselves before or maybe it's in the way that they've always seen themselves but they never thought that they had permission to live it out fully that's why everyone always that see that's what like you're right about a servant is a leader and a leader is a servant because on one hand on one hand you inspire greatness of in other people you the reason that you lead you lead because you're able to inspire other people to say i should therefore try to lead now myself the other thing is, is this, because of the fact that you do serve, you know effectively how to lead them. Yeah. You know what they need. You're able to see like in the room, like what's really going on. And it's a, it's a serious balance. And I think honestly, I kind of want to end on that note. Um, before we finish up, 
where would everyone, okay, anyone that wants to connect with you, where, where would they find you? Like, where would they find all your social media platforms? So that way we can go ahead and like link those in. Uh, ScottJChrisman.com. Scott okay. spelled with one T. And I believe all my socials are linked up there. Uh, on Instagram, it's Scott.J.Chrisman. On Facebook, Scott J. Chrisman. Um, but honestly, yeah, you send me a message on Facebook, Instagram, an email to Scott at the media house.co, um, find me on Facebook, whatever, wherever it is, I'm down to have a conversation down to connect you with anyone in my network, anyone who's listening, who needs something, hit me up. Let's, let's bro down, chop it up and figure out how to provide value. I think we think honestly we should end on that note because that's pretty freaking solid. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this um, as much as we did making this. Scott, thanks again for even like like taking the time to, to come on. And dude, I like I appreciate this because it's funny because I still got like all these other questions. <laughs> I only got to like two of them, but I was like, I saw you yawning. I'm like, it's probably gonna be time to cut this now. <laughs> oh man, but dude. Uh, thank you again. I'm going to go ahead and end this. I'm going to end the uh, the recording now. Cool. Boom. Stop the recording. Let's